Wake up! Wake up! Mike Mulligan. Bears, 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 bears. Football, football, football. You know what? I'd like to say you're wrong, Molly, but you're not wrong very often. David Haw. That was one of the best questions you've ever asked. Yeah, I'm sure it's going to get an answer just as good. Chicago Sports Talk for your morning on 670 The Score. I think Kansas City is going to win their game. Shotgun snap, quick throw, goal line caught, spinning, touchdown, Kelsey. One-yard touchdown run. Kelsey, his second touchdown catch today. And the Chiefs are going to go to the AFC championship game for the fifth consecutive year. I like the Eagles because I've liked the Eagles all year. Hurts awaiting the shotgun snap. Gets it, bobbles it, picks it up. Now runs to the left side. Hurts on a diagonal to the end zone. Touchdown, Jalen Hurts. And the road to the Super Bowl runs through Philadelphia. And we're going to be talking about Josh Allen. And it's Joe Burrow and the Bengals. And it's over. The winning continues for Cincinnati. The Bengals are going back to the AFC Championship game. The best story left. Mr. Irrelevant having the biggest impact. We'll be talking about Brock Purdy and the 49ers. The game is over for a second straight year. The 49ers are going to the NFC Championship game. Start your mornings with Mully and Haw, 5.30 till 10 a.m. I'm so tired, I don't know. On 670 The Score. Thank God you found us. I'm Lynn Bramer. This is Chicago. Let's go. Mully and Haw, Chicago Sports Radio, 670 The Score. Man, I got to tell you, sad day yesterday, losing Lynn Bramer, the great Lynn Bramer. I, I got to tell you, I don't... It, uh, t- it's painful when you lose people that you that you love. And I think everyone that ever met Lynn, anyone who ever had the pleasure of his company, David, and, and you among them, would feel awful. The world is a lesser place when you lose a life force like Lynn Bramer. Good morning, Molly. Yeah, it was a tough day and a sad one here today just because of the loss. And he was one of those guys who really was – uh, everybody's best friend in the whole world. Yeah. And that's the way people felt around him. He had this rare gift of making everybody feeling better in his presence. In this business, in any business, it's really difficult to maintain a positivity and to right. be somebody who uh, has this sort of uh, a- approach to life that is vivacious in the life of the party. And Lynn Bramer was all of that. And so, his loss is a big one. The news was sad. Not, uh, I mean, and, and it's a shock to your system when you deal with a loss like this. But all you can do uh, today is kind of have, have – everyone has these great memories. And you were uh, obviously, like everybody else here, had these experiences. We were lucky to have this kind of access to him on a regular basis. And he's going to be missed. There's no doubt about it. Yeah, Lynn, I mean, you know what's funny? Like doing a morning show – and Lynn doing a morning show. <laughs> and so you got to kind of, you got to know him. And Dustin, you can speak to this as well. You got to know him, not just, like, you, there's, there's, a, there's a certain frailty to people getting up in the morning and coming in. And Lynn, we used to talk to Lynn all the time about, yeah. like, what do you do? How do you get used to it? What, what is your <laughs> schedule? And he said, you never get used to it. The goal is to feel good one day in a row. One day in a row. If you can, that was yeah. his line. One if you can feel good yeah. one day in a row. It's a fragile ecosystem, as you exactly. often say. And 
you have done this longer than I have, and so you had the advice from Lynn earlier on. But I can remember coming here when when I, when we started the morning show together, and I came over from the Tribune because my exposure to Lynn Bramer was mostly from that standpoint, the the greatest Cub fan who would Cub hold fan. court in the press boxes he had and the suit. at Wrigley Field. He had the suit. He'd be at Cub events, and he would be the guy that would always have questions about the upcoming season or an opinion. He was he was Mr. Positivity and certainly yeah. exuded optimism. But when I came here, he would pull me aside at one of those functions or in yeah. one of these hallways and was like, gave me that advice That's about so the goal of having one good day in a row and you never get used to it. And then his Friday plan, which was fascinating to me, was that you just keep going yeah. until you can't go anymore. Yeah. Yeah. And you go into the weekend on a high. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and you try to do that as long as you can. Uh, but, you know, just so many, so many, so many memories and so many people touched by him in a way that is really difficult to describe and is going to be impossible to replace. I mean, we used to go out after, after the morning show in the old building and walk down to, to uh, the Billy Goat. And we'd be sitting in the Billy Goat about 1030 in the morning, 10 o'clock in the morning. Just kind of stacking cans, and uh, and Lynn was always game, and he was always holding court. You know, people, you, you want to talk about people drawn to someone? People felt like they knew he. They felt like he was their best friend in the whole world. He said it on the radio. It was a, it was a bit, but it wasn't. He was just it, like that. It was something he yeah. could say because it sounded like a bit, and it was it was a catchphrase oh, and all of that. But he had the personality that you didn't doubt it. Dustin, you, do you remember some of those oh, mornings? Come all on. those, uh, all the things, uh, one of the many things I thought about yesterday after hearing that news was exactly what you said about trying to feel good one, one day, day in a row. In a row. Yeah. And it's just you never feel you never feel normal. And, um, and I, just having the opportunity to know the guy a little bit. That's you know, nice. when I first got to the score, we were at the NBC Tower, you know, they – we still shared space on the same floor yeah. and our shows were back to back. I mean, it, literally like our studios were next right, to next e to each next other. to yeah. each other. So you saw him all the time and all just, time. just a great guy and always upbeat smile on his face. Even when he was dragging from introducing a band and being out doing local music, which nobody supported local music like better Lynn, than Lynn yeah, did. Yeah. And it was just, I was, I was absolutely shocked when I saw it on Twitter. Yeah. And I'm like, what? I, you know, I knew Lynn had been sick. I knew Lynn had left, yes. but Lynn had come back. Right. We visited him not too long ago yes. upstairs and, and, and went into his studio yes. briefly. And, and he was full of piss and vinegar, if you will, and, and ready to go and excited and, and just a, just great, always great ready. Dude. Just He always had a grip on life and so excited to be doing what he was doing. He really, there was not, a, there was not an act. Okay. It was, it was not theater no. of the mind. See, that, he that's loved the key it. Thing. Everything that he did. Loved it. In See terms him of... in the lobby here at, at, at yeah. the Prudential building, run into him once in a while because he changed day parts. He was then. Right. So sometimes we would be leaving. He be would be coming. coming and I look forward to that chance running with him because right. he always had the smile and the embrace and just seeing yeah. him at Cubs games. Great He'll be guy. missed. Great man. Left in July, came back in November, and everybody was very excited about that. And we did just see him recently. And so yesterday's news came as a shock to a lot of people. At 10 o'clock in the morning, it, it broke. 
and then the rest of the day, you saw an outpouring that was just reflective of everything that we were talking about now is that he touched everybody. And he was a Chicago radio icon, but he never really he, – he treated everybody like they mattered, like he wasn't he, – he never big-timed anybody. I got to tell you, I, you know, when Tim Weigel died, you know, and I don't know how many people got to know Tim, but he was this similar type of life force. And I, I got word that he died. I was on vacation in France, and a, a couple of people contacted me. A friend of mine tracked me down at the hotel I was at and told me the news. And I just, like, I just kind of, I just, like, went into the bathroom because I didn't want to be in public. You know, I'm in a hotel room with my wife, and I'm like, right. I went in the bathroom. I just had a cry. I just cried because it was you know, a, like a great light had been snuffed out. And that's how I felt yesterday. Same thing. I had the same response yesterday. Just, just I don't think you were alone. Person. You know, I think just because it was something that uh, people knew he had been suffering at times and he was he had time away from the radio station. But somebody like that, you just think, you know, it, it doesn't make any sense, but you think it's going to live forever because he's so happy. And they are such a life force. And that is a good way to put it, Molly. And it, his loss is felt by everyone and you know no opening day is ever going to be the same right. with the cubs Without just because the way he treated it from a nearby he, he's doing a remote and, he's right, dancing he's right. predicting they're going to do great things because yeah. that is what a, every cub fans expect fan expects on opening day and he epitomized all of the hope that every cub fan ever felt about yeah this is the year wow <laughs> I, I mean just a wonderful person and i and i i know that Everyone around here felt the same way, felt like they had a personal relationship with him because he treated everyone like that. And anybody that you met, if you were out with Lynn, he, it didn't matter who they were. He had time for them. He, he was just a great guy. And you don't like, I mean, I, it, it makes me want to be a better person when you're around a person like that. Cause I'm, I'm kind of standoffish and I'm a little suspicious of everyone. I mean, <laughs> You know, I, I grew up terrorized, so that happened. You're not paranoid. You just think the walls are closing in on you. I, I mean, all. the walls often do close <laughs> yeah. in on me. No, but, 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 I, but I, I, I love the way that, that he could deal with people and talk to people and just maintain interest in anything that he was it, doing. He was never afraid to laugh at himself. Oh. And, and that's a great lesson because of the humility that he had in that in that alone but he also could find the humor in about anything and and he and mary dixon were like a comedy routine it was i mean it was amazing yeah. to watch them both go back and forth and and mary was always kind of needling him just a tiny bit and you know lynn loved it i i, I gotta tell you they were great they had they were so good together on the air I, i'm sure she feels a terrible loss this morning uh spending as much time as she did with lynn and and partnering with him for as long as she did it's just i think there's a lot of people like that i think there's a lot of people that worked with him that um that he knew like he had neighbors he was friends with this guy who was a, a i think a fire captain he that that guy came to the track one time with us we we're all hanging out together it, it, i mean just a just one of the great Chicago voices you don't have to get talk to people who were just in radio to have the same kind of uh response or description that you just you just provided because like I know people who lived 
around Lynn and who say that he had the same effect on people that were in his neighborhood, in his company, wherever he went. And it is a rare gift. And, and he had it. So we're going to, you know, we'll probably talk. I'm sure some callers will have some reactions today. Yeah. We'll talk to some people who were uh, close to him, worked with him. You know, Ron Coomer, we're going to talk to at 8 o'clock. Molly, yeah. I think they had a lot in common. Oh, yeah. The Cub part, the rock and roll uh, part of it. And Coom had a relationship with Lynn that I think that was special. Like everyone felt that theirs was. So it's, yeah. uh, it's a huge loss for Chicago radio, just for anyone that knew him. What a great guy. I mean, I, I ended up on the phone for far too long, kind of swapping stories and, and you know, going over uh, different things that, that he had said. People were reminding me of a couple of very funny moments that we had. Um, it's just tough, man. It's just really difficult when something like this happens because even, you know, you just have a – you have this sort of um, – feeling towards somebody based on how they make you feel. And there are people in the world that, that make it a better place. And Lynn Bramer was definitely one of them. Let them laugh him, no doubt about it. You remember, I think, one of the video tributes yesterday, and there were a lot that were floating around social media, but one of them just stands out. I think it was about four or five years ago we did a boat trip here a cruise a lunch cruise and it was all for odyssey and and he was on it and then he was dancing in the corner by himself (laughs) and he was doing he was not afraid to look as silly as maybe he looked but he also had a little rhythm but he was he was definitely on video was one of those things that went viral and he was basically by himself dancing and um didn't need any any big crowd or company he was having having a great time because he just was always in it always seemed to be in a good mood. Oh God! I mean, again, you know, prayers and and uh, all of the you know condolences you could have to his family, to the many people he knew, and and frankly, I, I mean, to his listeners. You know, you develop when you're listening to the radio. It's a very intimate uh, form, and you're like, if you're in your car, like Lynn's the guy driving to work. You know, hey, try this song and let's let's have a, a nice moment and calm down while you drive in. It, it is, I I mean, I think you, div- I think like when I saw people meet Lynn who liked Lynn and Lynn was a wonderful person and, and handled that very well. But you, you could see in their eyes, like if it was cool for them to even oh my be gosh. with them, you know? Starstruck. Yes. And the yeah. they would feel a little bit. When that happens, people can tend to feel intimidated or uh, apprehensive, and that's what was his gift. He made people feel at ease, like he was on their level, no matter what they were or who they were, and and what they where they came from. He had a way of just making them feel comfortable, making everyone feel like he was their <laughs> their best friend in the world. Yeah, great guy. Yeah, great guy altogether. Uh, the finest evermore, as uh, my Irish cousins would say. Uh, God bless Lynn, and and we'll miss him. And we will talk about him throughout the course Absolutely. of the day. Today there's, will be a day of tributes on this station, yes. probably many stations, I but think throughout at, the city. I think at 10 o'clock they're doing like a big tribute for him on XRT. They did a tremendous job yesterday yeah. reacting to this, and, and also it, it was a Sunday, so people kind of out of their rhythm. But what they were able to do throughout the day was ah, – had to be very difficult, and today right. they will pay tribute at beginning at 10 o'clock. Yeah, that's um, that's wonderful. All right, we'll get into it. We'll talk about it. 
Uh, again, it is uh, a very difficult day for all of us here uh, that that knew Lynn and didn't he work with the softball team or something? Didn't he? I mean, like it just again, great guy. Uh, anyway, so we have uh, Championship Sunday all set. It is the 49ers traveling across the country to play the Eagles. The Eagles are favored by two and a half at the, in that game. The total is 45.5, 2 o'clock on Sunday afternoon. And then the in the AFC, it is the Bengals at the Chiefs who are favored by a point. Got to keep an eye on uh, Patrick Mahomes. And uh, the total there, 47.5. That one kicks off at 5.30. Both games will be here on the score, and the coverage starts at 1 p.m. I think the four best teams are left. I think that's what this weekend decided. The four best teams won those games. You know what's interesting is I was thinking to myself, um, okay, so the Jaguars had no chance. No. And I'm sure they came out of that feeling good about themselves. Look what we did Look how far we got, and look what, you know, we we put a scare in the Chiefs. We really did. But I think that their season is, is a success. Uh, the Giants, because of the way they lost, was it turned their season into a disaster. Maybe. It makes people question the quarterback. I'm just talking about okay. the reaction I, I saw from oh, fans I, and from, I mean, it was It's ugly. New York, so it's got to oh, be the overreaction you saw. So, but, <laughs> but I think a lot of what they did in the season was damaged by the kind of loss they suffered okay, fair in that game. I think that the Dallas Cowboys were a train wreck. People are so mad at the Dallas Cowboys. I think the Dallas Cowboys played a really physical team. I think that is tough. And I think that they got beaten pretty good. But of all those teams, the Buffalo Bills losing again, losing again in the playoffs, not getting at home. to the po- at home That's in a the worst snowstorm. Yeah. And guess what? Joe Cool could care less. Nope. He went out there and he beat them. And he was the best player on the field and maybe the best player left in the playoffs. We'll argue about it. But that, that, Loss for Buffalo is one of these things where, yeah, I mean, people think Buffalo should, but there were people picking them last year for the Super Bowl. I think everybody picked them this year. And it is a huge disappointment to lose in the fashion in which they did at home in a divisional playoff. On a snowy day in the midst of winter, uh, but they couldn't stop, as he was referred to yesterday, Joe Burrow. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, boy. Look, these were... Not the four greatest games. Let's face it. These weren't the the height of drama and the best weekend in the NFL like right. it is was was supposed to be. But these are the four best teams. Based on how they based on everything they have done to get to this point, the NFC, this is the matchup everybody wants to see. The Eagles with a healthy Jalen Hurts against the 49ers who have now won 12 straight. That is the matchup that makes the most sense. And in the AFC the most overlooked aspect of the playoffs is the Bengal defense. Oh, no doubt about they it. They are playing at they a level. They played very well. So easy to yeah. overlook. And they they kind of adjust their game plan. They tweak it. They're they, very good. They they are are under unheralded, underrated, all of those things. But now they go into Kansas City, and Kansas City's compromised. No matter what. No doubt about it. You, you cannot expect the same thing to happen 
looking at the way that Patrick Mahomes was injured in that and played in the second half. Um, they talked about it yesterday. Apparently, it's a high ankle sprain. A high ankle takes about six to eight weeks to recover from. I'm not kidding about that. It's a really a high ankle sprain. Is bad weeks, not days. Weeks. <laughs> and 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 Mahomes, uh, surprisingly, according to all reports, felt pretty good coming. You know that he is compromised is the right word, and it is going to be awful difficult for the Chiefs. I, you know, we were texting back and forth over the weekend, and um, I, I am convinced that if the Chiefs had to go to Atlanta, the Buffalo would make it to the Super Bowl. But, of course, Cincinnati, I don't even know if they can play the underdog card now because I think that they are about as dangerous a team I, as there is left. That's a great lineup. point because they look as complete as any team left. Yeah. Them and the 49ers look like they're well, in a collision course. The the Eagles. I know. I mean, fly, Eagles, fly. The Eagles played great. Jalen Hurts looked great. I think what's interesting to me, and I know you love the Niners, and I think they're a very complete team. No rookie quarterback has ever made the Super Bowl. No rookie quarterback has ever made it to the Super Bowl, let alone won the Super Bowl. So Brock Purdy didn't – he wasn't outstanding – he was all right. He, he did, did just he enough. Did, he did. He did his Brock Purdy. He, he thing. protected the football better than yeah. Dak Prescott. Oh well, that that right there. Is, that's it. That's that was the game. the game. Yeah. And so we'll talk about this moving forward. Robbie but Gold I, is is greater oh than Oh my gosh! Yeah, Brett for Robbie Gold. Holy God! They, Robbie Gold's never missed a playoff field goal. The only thing that he's he's perfect twenty two out of twenty two since leaving the Bears in the playoffs. I think he's twenty nine to twenty nine. Yeah, the guy's career. unbelievable. Yeah, uh, in the playoffs. If Jalen Hurts is healthy, then I think they do have that advantage. The only problem is, yeah, he looked healthy, and they did what he needed to do. This defense is different, though. This defense with the 49ers is different. Did you watch the Eagles? The Eagles, let me tell you something. This is, this is two very physical football teams. I did watch the Eagles. And they, I, the Eagles beat the crap did you watch the Eagles? out of the Giants. I'm just saying, they physically beat up the Giants pretty good. I think this, this is going to be – like an old-fashioned NFC bloodbath type game. I mean, it's going to be two teams squaring off in the center of the ring and beating the heck out of each other. I, I'm, I, you know, I'm fly Eagles fly as you decided well know. by a kicker, and uh, I have a hard time thinking that uh, that uh, they're going to uh, not be able to win at home against a rookie quarterback. Honestly, as simple as that. It's a really good team. They're they pretty are complete. Well, I so love are the, the Niners. The Niners are better, I, but they don't have the quarterback. Give me Kyle Shanahan in a big game like this over your guy Sirianni. Okay, that's fair. That's fair. Sirianni did pretty well. I know, but you're right. That's a good point. All right, we're going to be we're going to be arguing be a fun about week. this. It's going to be a ton of fun talking about it. We have the uh the uh the pick six next. We're going to break down all the stories of the day. And um, I don't have the Eagles even played in the playoffs yet. It seemed like they were just kind of out playing a little seven <laughs> on seven for a while. <laughs> Mully and Haw, Chicago Sports Radio, six seven of the score. E A G A L E S. It's Pick Six with Mully and Haw, where we debate the top six sports stories of the day and then open it up to you, the Chicago sports fan. Call us at 312-644-6767, or you can tweet your thoughts at Mully Haw. Pick Six with Mully and Haw starts now. 
What did you make of Dallas kicker Brett Maher missing yet another extra point and impacting coaching decisions in the Cowboys 49ers game? Was it a mistake not to replace him? Oh, it was a huge mistake. There's no shadow of a doubt. Listen, you know, you come out and you take a a seven, you, you know, you score a touchdown, the first touchdown of the game, and you're you're laughing and you miss the extra point after missing four the week before and one the week before that. You cannot sustain that. They did not they had a chance. They they did, wouldn't kick a field goal. They finally kicked a field goal like a twenty five yarder and he hit another one later on in the game from from like forty three yards. That was that was a a buzz kill that was that if impacted coaching decisions. That was just flat out stupid. Why you didn't replace him makes no sense to me. He lost his job the week before and you stayed with him and I don't think you lost the game, but it it damaged you pretty good. I've never wanted to see an extra point more than I wanted to see that extra point. I mean, I literally sat up yeah. like, you know, like, you know, you're, you're watching the game at home. You're kind of relaxed on your couch, your favorite chair. I sat up, I, I got upright. Like I was at sitting in school, like, you know, no, no slouching. Right. I, I was ready for that. That and, and it was like, Oh my gosh. And, and, you know, and it was blocked. And, and if it wasn't blocked, it would have been missed. They did a great job showing you that they saved them from that right. by blocking it. Right. That it was, otherwise it would have that, made it you know, look even worse. That's so true. I mean, it was blocked, but in my mind, it was like an absolute crap uh, extra point attempt. But you're absolutely right. If if that didn't get blocked, but it's I don't know. I still thought it was. A well, here, here's mistake. the thing, and I, I agree with you that it made a huge impact on the game because decisions were made because they didn't trust the guy. And, and that's the problem. Once you decided to not replace him, you couldn't lose your faith in him. So at one point in the game, they were on the verge of like a 49, 50-yard field goal, and they lined up on fourth down, and they tried to do some snap counts, and Dak was lifting his leg, and the, and the guard was making the hand signal that I think should be off sides because you're not allowed to move on. That's a whole other story. And they tried to draw him off. They couldn't draw him off, and they took the five-yard penalty and then punted. Right, because they didn't have faith in the kicker. If you're going to keep the guy, you got to have faith and not change what you would normally do. Because the guy has plenty of leg during the regular well, season. Well, even before that, it was a factor. And it was after he missed the extra point, which was not a miss. It was a block, but it would have been missed wildly to the left. Fourth and four at the 49 or 35, two minutes to go in the first half. It's six to six. You got to kick a field goal, Mike McCarthy. You got to take the points. You, you go for it and you get. You get it. Okay, you scramble. You get lucky because protection broke down. But you got to take the points because you know what happened two plays later? Dak Prescott throws an interception. The 49ers, who dilly-dallied themselves and made us wonder like what they were doing with the clock, but they get to the end, and they kick that field goal with Robbie Gold before the end of the first half, and they lead 9-6. to six. Huge swing there. Why was there a huge swing? Because they believed in the kicker who let him down. What in the world are they doing? There's no accountability in Dallas. What happened? They're going to regret that decision because sticking with Brett Maher ended up costing them points in a yeah. game that turned out to be a one-possession game. Yeah, points were very hard to come by. You, you can't do that, and they let, they, they let whatever interfere with their logic, and they thought with their hearts and not with their heads. And, and David, I mean, when we talk about that game – we will argue whether or not they should have uh, punted or gone for it on fourth and ten, 
you know, the numbers say that you're better off going for it because once you give the ball away, you're unlikely to get it back. Or we could talk about that last play of the game, which I think oh. was an attempt at your farcical uh, uh, um, uh, the lateral. lateral play. See, but that if my but, rule existed, they wouldn't have that farcical but, play. But that was that was like one of the dumbest things I've ever dumbest. seen. You, I mean, because it was like they actually took a timeout. Like, wait a minute. What the hell are they pulling here? Oh, no. Let, oh, this is a crap idea. Oh, okay, let, let's let, go. Let's put our only and, healthy running back like, who we're overpaying oh at God. center. And, they, and, they, and then they throw. I think he was supposed to catch it and lateral it to Zeke. But yes. I think Zeke got knocked into. But he got knocked into next week. Yeah. yeah. I mean, what an awful play. Uh, let sincere. me ask you a question about that. Would you rate Joe Burrow or Jalen Hurts the best quarterback remaining after seeing Patrick Mahomes compromise with a high ankle sprain? Mahomes played through what was called a high ankle sprain. Would you have left him out in the game or stayed with Chad Henney? Any chance Mahomes misses the AFC title game? Good questions. I think, number one, as Molly said, we were texting back and forth, and I said, as long as they have a lead, I would not bring him back. Mm. I don't think that yep. they needed to bring him back when they did. I don't know what more damage they did by bringing him back or whatever the case may be, but high ankle sprains are not something you mess around with. Typically, it is maybe a six- to eight-week recovery fully, not six to eight days. This is a problem for the Chiefs. This is a different quarterback. Now, the only lucky part is that Patrick Mahomes doesn't have these textbook mechanics, so he can throw off any foot at any angle. And if he's reduced to just being a drop-back passer, he's still going to be the best drop-back passer, a stationary pocket passer in, that's left in the field. But I don't know what he's got left. I don't know how healthy he is, so that's going to change it. I love Jalen Hurts. I love everything about Jalen Hurts. You know that his competitiveness, his, his dual purpose, his dual threat ability is great. But Joe Burrow is the best quarterback left because he's healthiest. He is clutch. He does, he's unfazed. And because Patrick Mahomes is injured, Joe Burrow is right there just a level below, barely. Patrick Mahomes went healthy, but Joe Burrow is the guy that I would trust the most going into championship weekend. I'd agree. Joe Burrow is the guy right now. I mean, what he did yesterday was pretty spectacular for them to take that 14 nothing quick lead out in Buffalo in those conditions. Um, I thought they did a really bad job taping up Mahomes' ankle, too. I mean, it, 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 just, it just looked like a, a shoddy, like, junior high-level tape job. I mean, this is the NFL. Like, come on. Like, get the, get the guy some proper tape and, and get, get this thing going. And you didn't have to be a lip reader. I mean, Mahomes was not having – they wanted him to go back, and he was not having any of it. Um I think they needed him out there, I think, from an emotional standpoint. Listen, that was the most competitive game of the four games this weekend. And going in, you would have thought that was going to be the least competitive game. But I'll tell you what, a 70% Patrick Mahomes is still better than a lot of 100% quarterbacks in the NFL. Yeah, I, I mean, to, to answer your question, Dustin, I think they should have had him play in a boot. I think that's what he needed <laughs> at that point. I, I'm, I'm kind of joking, but I'm kind of not. I... I he was really, he was really compromised. I mean, he really was not. And and I agree with you. He can throw the ball from every angle. And he, but guess what? You need your legs a little bit. There were a couple of passes that fell pretty short because he didn't have that ability to kind of throw off his leg. I mean, I I know he can throw in any way, but man, that was tough to watch. Uh, in terms of uh, 
of Burrow or Jalen Hurts, that that's probably the case. It's probably down to those two guys. Joe Burrow is the best young player, the best quarterback, the guy you'd want to build around. Joe Burrow is absolutely phenomenal. I think it was great to see Hurts back under center, but I'm not even did, did he break a sweat? I'm not even sure that that he perspired. It was that kind of a game. So he didn't really have to do much, but it was good to see him, you know, throwing the ball and all the rest of it. Ooh, that's a good question. Voice of Ross Tucker will be here on the show 9 o'clock. Speaking of NFL QBs, does Jalen Hurts' dominant performance for the Eagles, including generalship of drives of 75, 52, 63, and 72 yards in four of their first five possessions indicate a quarterback like Justin Fields can dominate? Uh, were you relieved Hurts was as good as he was coming off an injury? Yeah, you know, that was the only guy that we could compare to Justin Fields, as we talked about it last week. I mean, there, there was a little uh, of Josh Allen, but I don't think that is a very good comparison because he's a, a, a completely different kind of quarterback. But, but Hurts and Jalen Fields are both guys that uh, they can do it with their legs. And um, Hurts, we didn't feel, was much of a quarterback when he first got into the NFL. Uh, and, and how about this? He played at Oklahoma, and they had a one-point victory over Iowa State led by Brock Purdy. Uh, that's pretty funny. A couple, <laughs> few years ago, it was uh, they were way ahead in the game, Oklahoma, and Iowa State came roaring back behind Purdy. So that that is just fun to see those guys square off again. But yeah, I think I think you didn't want you know Lamar Jackson got hurt and and he couldn't play, and you worry about the sustainability of running quarterbacks. And Jalen Hurts got hurt against the Bears of all teams, a team that doesn't touch quarterbacks somehow uh, separated his shoulder. So. I think it was great to see him back. I think that, um, you know, you want uh, Fields to have the same sort of jump from one year to the next and come out as a significantly better passer as Hurts as, uh, did by working his tail off uh, last offseason. And apparently his entire life, he's one of those workaholic guys. God bless him. Well, in order for Justin Fields to do what Jalen Hurts did, I think he's going to need at least two more pieces on the offensive line. The Eagles' offensive line really – dominated that game they, they really opened up a lot of holes they ate a ton of clock they how about Lane for... Johnson playing he's got an abdominal injury and he right. played anyway they, they say he's in bad shape but you wouldn't know and then a number one a real number one wide receiver also helps yeah how did Jalen Hurts get hurt against the Bears did he slip in the tunnel how does that happen it was the folding uh, chair remember big set of folding chair yeah got six tackles for the Bears I, I want to see what you see or I, I what this question suggests I think right now it's a big leap to make. And what I think is interesting about Jalen Hurts' ascension is that, yeah, they surrounded him with weapons and he was able to make that leap because he was capable of doing that. And I'm not doubting Justin Fields' ability to do that physically, and he's got the skill set, certainly. I just don't know if the Bears are able to surround him with as much talent this soon as the Eagles were with Jalen Hurts. As for what it says about this weekend and and can the Bears win that way, yeah, they're going to have to because that's their method. This is the Eagles' method. But I think what we saw over the weekend was teams are, are at this level with a lot of different methods. Whatever works for you based on your roster, whatever works to, for you based on your strengths, lean into those strengths. Because you look at the 49ers and the Bengals and all these different teams 
adjust and adapt depending on the roster. If you needed to wanted to take a, a big takeaway from this weekend, it would be find a tight end that's going to dominate. Oh, boy. Because George yeah. Kittle did what he needed to do to save Brock Purdy oh, with a great one-handed catch. That was and nobody can, st- no, nobody can stop Kelsey. Nobody can guard him. Nobody no. can defend him. How is that possible when he's like the, the most dangerous weapon I don't on know. the field? He keeps finding a way to get open. So if you're a Bears fan, yeah, you want to see – Justin Fields become Jalen Hurts, but you want to see Cole Komet become one of those guys. It's a pick six. The Bulls begin a stretch of four games, six nights tonight against the Hawks. You'll hear it on the score. The only team among the four with a winning record. If you were a basketball romantic, you might believe the Bulls discovered something special in Paris. So what would their record have to be in the four-game stretch to convince you that they did? And things will be better now. Boy, I want to see them win three out of four. It's a tough ask in the NBA to win all four, given the, the just the rigors of four games in six nights. This is the price you pay for going abroad, I suppose. This is the price you pay for getting your passport stamped. Welcome to Paris. I, it's a tough ask, but three and one? But I fear two and two. I don't know what they're going to be like tonight. Is jet lag a thing this far after landing at O'Hare? I don't know if that's realistic, but that will be the built-in excuse. Will they use it? Will they be a team that comes out flat because of that? Or I think this is the hope they come out against a Hawks team that is you know, competitive and have had their own share of issues, but they come out engaged and they prove that what happened in Paris doesn't have to stay in Paris and they bring it back to Chicago, and they are a different team the second half of the season. I don't want to hear about jet lag. I don't want to hear about two and two. I really want them to capitalize on what happened. It seemed like everything that possibly could go right went right in Paris, and it starts tonight. This is the best of the four teams. It's the Hawks, the Pacers, the Hornets, and the Magic between now and Saturday. That's who, that's who the Bulls are facing. Start tonight. And again, if they lose tonight, David, you're probably right. Two and two, best case scenario. They win tonight, you could see a four-game sweep. So start tonight. Not a not a not a must win, but I'm going to say it right now. It's a statement game. <laughs> yeah, you know this is the only team with a winning record that they're facing, and they're one game over 500. I think the Bulls are three below. They need to take advantage of this schedule, and they need to do that now. Um, this is a pretty good team. A good win tonight would go a long way. You know, the thing that happened in Paris is not only did they bond and get together and everything, all that fun stuff, they actually led from jump all the way to the end of the game. They never fell behind. They never lost their focus in the third quarter. They got rid of some bad habits in that one game. And here's hoping that that carries over. You know, I I think it's awful to watch the Bulls go through these stretches where – they just don't seem to uh, give a toss. And, and I'm really hoping that that has been erased and that, they, that what this trip taught them is to kind of raise up their effort and, uh, and, and their uh, energy so that they don't go through these horrible third quarters, whatever it might be. So I'm counting on the Bulls starting to win, getting on a roll, putting together some victories. And it starts tonight, and then you've got to beat teams you're better than. And I think that uh, they can get back to 500 here quick. You know, that's a really good question. On Saturday's Inside the Clubhouse, White Sox skipper Pedro Grafol talked about Oscar Colas getting the first shot 
in right field, but also about Aloy Jimenez was a possibility to still play out there. Well, certainly Oscar Colas is going to give him, be given every opportunity to see if he you know, can become our right fielder on a daily basis. Not something people want to hear, but I, I'm really looking forward to seeing Eloy in right field. And, and I'm not talking about seeing him there every day, but I'm talking about seeing him there you know, maybe a day or two a week if, if possible and keeping him, you know, athletic and keeping him working, you know, on the defensive side because I know that helps, uh, on, you know, on the offensive side as well. What was the most significant part of that answer? My God. Um, <laughs> I, I mean, uh, it, it, listen. Uh, can, can Aloy play right field? How, what kind of an idea is that? I mean, you know what stood out about that answer is not every day, but just to keep him interested. And, you know, Aloy doesn't want to be a full-time DH is what you're telling me. And so he's pushing back, and now you signed a left fielder. So we'll put him out there, yeah, once a week. We'll just put him out there once in a while so he feels like he's still a a full-time player, and maybe that will keep him from slumping as a DH. Or maybe what I heard was, you know, we have absolutely nowhere to put Yasmani Grandal, and he's been – working with a hockey trainer, so, you know, we want to get him on the power play. But uh, maybe if we throw Aloy out there, then we'll have another left-handed bat against certain pitching because we're taking the left-hander out of right field. And, uh, okay, never mind. I don't know what the hell I heard there, but I didn't like it. I'm going to agree with what Molly just said there, and the reaction was priceless. Um, Yeah, Aloy and Wright doesn't seem to make a whole lot of sense. I mean, if anything... Can he throw? If anything, how about give the left fielder a day off or have the left fielder DH? If you're going to play Aloy in the outfield, I think it's in left field. I don't think right field makes any sense at all. Well, I would hide his glove, but I don't think they're going to do that. I think what Pedro Gafal was alluding to without saying so was that he's very – uh, there's going to be a very concerted effort to make Aloy happy and put him in the frame of mind where not playing in the field doesn't affect him at the plate because we know he's on record as saying he wants to play in the outfield, that being a full-time DH doesn't appeal to him. Well, he better get used to the idea because I don't think it makes any sense at all for the White Sox to lean into this idea that they're going to be improved offensively and do all the little things right and then put him in right field or in the outfield at all. So that was – Definitely the most interesting, significant part of that answer. But it should not go overlooked that they are definitely planning on Oscar Colas to make an impression. And he is going to get the opportunity that we're talking about to win the job in right field. And if he can be the guy, he's 24 years old. So he's not like some sort of green prospect that is going to be overwhelmed or or phased too much by the moment. I don't believe he's got the skill set. Now he's just got to realize that potential. Can I ask you guys one question? There he is, Ron Coomer. He'll be here at 8 o'clock with Mully and Haw. In his weekend notes column, USA Today's Bob Nightingale said, after quoting the White Sox source, includes a note about Nick Madrigal not having a role with the Cubs. Then Nightingale asks, guess who desperately needs a second baseman? Yep, the White Sox. Do you think Bob knows something? Well, what stood out to me about that report was, I love the notes column, especially in January when you're thinking baseball and you want some rumors and some good hot stove discussion. But he did quote a White Sox source earlier in the column, which means that he checked in on the White Sox. A guy that knows the White Sox as well as Bob Nightingale historically knows the White Sox, talking to the White Sox, would think that maybe also Nick Madrigal came up. 
if he's throwing it out there at the end of his notes column. So, yeah, you deduce that maybe there is a possibility it would make sense. It makes too much sense. The guy they liked in the draft, a guy they used to get a reliever that they thought they would need to get over the top that one year, served him well, the trade didn't work out, but now maybe they go back to him. And I would wonder, based on you just don't know but what, what Madrigal's role is with the Cubs versus what he could be with the White Sox, I think the White Sox may value Nick Madrigal more than the Cubs do, even though they would never admit to that. But what's he going to do with the Cubs? Be a utility guy? Play an occasional third base? Lead off as the DH? No. Maybe. But there's a lot of definite maybes. Whereas with the White Sox, he would be welcomed back with open arms, and he would be their opening day second baseman. Well, you don't need a White Sox source to know that Nick Madrigal doesn't have a role with the Cubs and to know that the White Sox are in need of a second baseman. You don't need a source for that. But... I like I like those notes columns. I like the talkability. I get again. Let's let's okay. So let's just say that this is something that could possibly happen. What what's coming back to the Cubs? Like what, what's the what, what's the compensation? Probably Colson Montgomery if uh, the stocks are making that trade. No, <laughs> come on. I'm all for it then. You are really cynical about the stocks. I'm not. I, let me tell you Colson something. Montgomery. They threatened they were going to make a trade. This is it. Really? <laughs> this is the trade? And and that's it. Okay, great. Let's see how the White Sox can be pantsed by the Cubs. That sounds fantastic. What a great, wonderful thing to look away from. Good mother of God. I, I mean, if they want to give the guy away, great. But if they actually expect anything in return, why would you make that trade? I don't know that they would expect much in return. This is a guy that is a backup infielder at this stage of his Cub career. And... Maybe they would look at. It, I don't. I don't think it would be a difficult trade to make for either team. Oh, I, listen! I've seen this idea. I've seen. You know, we've talked about this idea, Dustin. You've talked about it. What What value is it of the White Sox if they give anything away? If it's a bag of balls or a fifth of scotch, you go ahead and make the deal. What the heck? You got a lot of that stuff floating around. But but I. I mean, what? I mean, even. You know, is there a 17-year-old Dominican prospect that they could trade and then we could all eat our liver later on in life? Come so you on. would have would you rather have Romy Gonzalez or Nick Madrigal at second base for your Chicago White Sox? You're, you're trading Romy? Is that what you're doing? No, I'm saying that he's staying because of okay. a ba- he's got a backup yeah, plan. You got to have you have to have alternatives. Have plan. Yeah. So you'd rather have Romy? I I mean, listen, I, I, the White Sox that Kimbrel trade was a disaster. Is terrible. I get it. You know, Hoyer got hurt too, and and you know whatever. I, I I think that ship sailed. If they do it, great. But if they give away anything, I'm not going to be happy about it. It's as simple as that. I, I just want the guess. White Sox. The biggest trade in the offseason involving a second baseman shouldn't be the Twins getting rid of Luis Arise. That should not be. Although that's going to help the Sox because he's not going to be in their division any longer. But you know, make your own deal. 312-644-6767. We'll hear from some Sox fans later. We have the extra point next. Mully and Hall on the score. I've never wanted to see an extra point more than I wanted to see that extra point. <laughs> Set up this extra point. It's time for the extra point with Mully and Haw on 670 The Score. What was the biggest surprise or disappointment from the NFL Divisional Playoff Weekend considered by some the best weekend of the year? 
If it didn't live up to the hype, any explanation why? Any Bears takeaways? I don't think there are any Bears takeaways. You can strain to make the connection between Jalen Hurts' doing for the Eagles, what everyone in Chicago wants Justin Fields to do for the Bears as early as next year. I'm not sure how realistic that is. Uh, as far as why the games weren't ones that lived up to the hype, first of all, the first weekend of playoff football in the NFL was fantastic, and I, don't, I think it was going to go nowhere but down in terms of competitiveness, in terms of drama, but it wasn't there. And maybe it's just a matter of the teams that the, they, this was the weekend to assert themselves as the four best. These weren't the four greatest games, but we came out of it with clearly the four best teams. And the biggest surprise of those four teams is probably, in my mind, that Brock Purdy was pretty good enough. That's, that, that is the story of the postseason for the San Francisco 49ers. All these weapons, all of this defense, but if he has, if he turns the football over, which he has yet to do in the postseason, they may not win that game. Dak Prescott turned the ball over. And as I pointed out, at the end of the first half, that was a key critical point of the game. Brock Purdy was at the, at the level he needed to be. He's not great. He's not terrible. But somewhere in between might be good enough for the 49ers to do what they're capable of doing, and that is getting back to the Super Bowl. Well, I, I will start with my Bears takeaway here. And I'm not saying that the Bears, I know Biggs has said that they're not even approaching the window. David's saying that it's too early to, to – to expect them to, to make this next quantum leap. But Kevin Warren talked about it, and you guys stressed it. The NFC is wide open. Okay, The NFC is not that good. So a couple of key additions and a couple of things go your way in health and the, and the last place schedule. There's no reason that the Bears can't play in this tournament next year, in my opinion. There's wow. really no reason because the, NF, because the NFC is not very good. I mean, and if you're a Cowboys fan, I mean, that's got to be the biggest heartbreak disappointment. You have, like, everything going for you. And it's not because Pollard broke his leg in the game. That's not why they, they lost that game. When you got Dak Prescott and you're going up against Brock Purdy, if not then, when? If you weren't going to win that game, because, I mean, Brock Purdy, if he plays like he played yesterday on Sunday in Philadelphia – that game might be as bad as the Eagles-Giants game was. And that was the biggest disappointment. I mean, that game stunk out loud, unless you're an Eagles fan. I mean, it was just, I mean, just, no, it'd be just no fun. I mean, it, was just, it, was just, it, wasn't, it wasn't competitive from the get-go. So that was the biggest disappointment. Yeah, you know, I think the Bills are the biggest disappointment. I think the Bills really two. should have done better, and they were at home, and they were in the snow, and it, Josh Allen just wasn't very good. Um that was a disappointment. Dallas, Mike McCarthy as a head coach, 0-4 in the playoffs against San Francisco. And that covers a lot of time and a couple different teams. That is a disappointment. I'm sorry. That's, that's a career just, disappointment. That's a career disappointment. And frankly, you know, the Brett Maher thing. What are you doing? Why are you bringing a guy like that? Why have an obvious hole in your team when you're going into a playoff game? That is dumb, Dallas. That was really dumb. As far as the Giants were concerned, I thought the Eagles it told you being at home and having an extra week is a big deal. And, uh, and I think you, you saw that, and it was, uh, it, it was very uh, good for them. And, uh, you know, I, that's why I don't um, – I think the Chiefs survived in part because they had the week off and they had the game at home, 
and they had you know the worst opponent of uh, left in the AFC. Um, and and it, it if the quarterback can't play, they're in, in serious trouble. And it was disappointing to see him get hurt. But congratulations to them on a win again. That bye week and the home home game meant a lot to both those teams. Uh, the Eagles didn't even – they just looked really good and really sharp. And I thought that uh, that uh, when you when you think about the Chiefs, they don't win that game if it's uh, on the road. One mini Bears takeaway question. Do the Bears now look at Saquon Barkley in free agency, trading for T. Higgins if he gets out wants a bigger deal that the Bengals aren't going to pay? Or are they waiting for Stephon Diggs to throw a bigger temper tantrum and maybe oh my God, become available that? and force his way out of Buffalo? Did he, like, did he just pack up and leave? Uh, yeah. I mean, holy God, he went. He's oh. screaming at everyone, and and I love, I love that it's like, oh, he's a passionate competitor. Like he had a meltdown. Let's hope he forces his way out. Yeah. That would be I'd, fun I'd, drama. I take follow. that guy in a heartbeat. Oh my I gosh, I would love wouldn't. to see that. That'd I would love to see it. Yeah, no question. All right, three one two six forty four sixty seven sixty seven. We're going to. Uh, we're going to shift gears a little bit. We're going to do a little tribute to Lynn Bramer next, uh, and we're going to have fun with that. It's Mully and Hall at Chicago Sports Radio, 6-7 the score. I'm Lynn Bramer, your best friend in the whole world. And while you've heard all roads lead to Rome, some roads lead from Chicago. This is Chicago. Mully and Haw, Chicago Sports Radio, 670 The Score. That is the Stones, the Rolling Stones. The song is called Loving Cup, and it's one of Lynn's favorites. He said in an interview, one of his all-time favorites. And we are delighted to welcome in our boss. Uh, he is Mitch Rosen, the vice president and of BetQL, the director of operations, brand manager of WSCR, Sports Radio, 670 The Score. And Mitch, thanks for coming in. Hey, Mal, David, uh, you know, I'd say it's a good morning. It's a sad morning as, you know, everybody, not just here at Odyssey and XRT and the score and all the stations, but I think the entire, you know, city of Chicago is in a a place of mourning uh, today. I think you're right. And we saw that on Sunday. The outpouring was amazing beginning when the news broke at 10 o'clock and it made for a very long Sunday. But a lot of the tributes, all of the tributes were the same in sort of the – Everyone felt like Lynn really was their best friend. Yeah, people, everybody that knew him loved him. And there aren't many people in life, not just in the workplace, but you don't meet many people in life that you really like. And, you know, love is a strong word, but so many people loved him and Mm -hmm. appreciated who he was as a human being. And it's universal, Mull. I mean, you would see him in the hallways, you'd see him at games, and there weren't many people like him. No, he he was just he was one of these people. There, there are certain people that have like a an aura, essence, a light to them that shines and that encompasses everyone and makes everyone feel good. I, I mean, the guy had some of the greatest stories I've ever heard. There was some the, the greatest story I've ever heard was him at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, and uh, we can tell that story. But 
But Mitch, let's start yeah. with uh, some of your memories of him. You you were his boss <laughs> here at Odyssey. You ran XRT for a few yeah, years. Yeah, I don't listen. We worked together. I um, you know a number of years ago, um, I was asked to help and, and oversee XRT. And first thing I said to my boss at the time. I don't know that much about music. He said, don't worry about music. It's about managing people and just great. The people at XRT are unbelievable. Just salt of the earth, great people. And my fondest memory was in 2016. Everybody knows Lynn was one of the biggest Cub fans, a season ticket holder for 25 years. And we'd go to so many games, even when doing mornings, you know, he'd go to night games and stumble in in the morning after being up till 11 o'clock in an extra inning game, you know, against the Pirates in, in April. So he, uh, a, a huge Cub fan. So the Cubs win in 2016. As a rights holder, we had X amount of tickets on one of the buses in the parade. And it didn't even click twice in my head. You know, I put a couple people from sales, I think a personality or two from the score, and I had a slot open. And I remember calling him, and we were going 100 miles an hour with parade coverage and coming back from Cleveland. And I call, hey, go, Lynn, what's, oh, what? I go, hey, I have something, and no is not going to be an answer. I've got a slot for you on one of the buses on the parade. And it was like dead silence, like radio silence. Like the alarms would have went off on, on, you know, that we were off the air. He goes, what? I go, you have to be at this place at this time, and you're in the parade. And just remembering, and, and I think I tweeted a picture of yesterday of him on the bus, and he was in his Cubs sport coat. Yeah, yeah. And just a look on his face. And that, that's how I'm going to remember Lynn. You know, I'm not going to remember Lynn being sick or at other places. My memory of Lynn, and I think so many others as a Cub fan, is him – you know, on that bus, smiling, he had sunglasses on, just, you know, the grin. And he waited like so many Cub fans for the World Series. And I remember him, t- I go, where did you watch it? Well, I was at my friend Tom's in Evanston, then the rain delay. I had so much, you know, angst. I ran home and, you know, it just, um, man, that, that's that's what I'm going to remember. Just a unbelievable personality. Yep. Loved music, loved his family, loved his colleagues. Love sports. He was a score, you know, dedicated listener. He'd call in or text when he was listening. He was the manager of the score softball team. He made the lineup. He just, man, he just enjoyed life. He really did. You tell everyone before they come on the air, you always say, have fun today. Have fun today. That's a very consistent uh, bit of advice that you give everybody. Lynn had fun every day. What was it about his personality that you'll remember that allowed him to get to the point where he just seemed like he was always having a good time and always very quick with a smile, uh, just a joke, or whatever the case may be? He had fun. He did. He was playing rock and roll. He was going to concerts at night. Yeah. Even when he, you know, he'd have client meetings here, he'd have fun with it. It just, he had fun with life. He enjoyed it. He, um, you know, was saying, you know, he was everybody's best friend. He would meet someone after 10 minutes, and they thought he, he made them feel like they were yeah. his best friend. And that's what made him special. And, you know, I remember U2 was in town years ago, and he came in. The next one, he goes, I was uh, drinking whiskey with Bono uh, last night. I go, what? He goes, yeah, we ended up at, you know, someplace. And he, Lynn was, didn't BS. I mean, no. it was it was no. true. And and. People loved him. You know, rock and roll stars, you know, everybody loved him. They never met a person, oh, Lynn Bramer. No, everybody loved him. So my favorite story with Lynn, and I, I, I hope you've heard it already, and I think he said it on the score, but uh, we were out years ago, and he was kind of holding court, and he told this story. They made the movie uh, Hell, Hell, Rock and Roll, which is Chuck Berry's life story. And so 
they invited radio stations around the country to go to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, and they were extras in the movie. So the idea was they were going to play Chuck Berry getting inducted in the Hall of Fame as the last scene of the movie, and so that all the XRT people are there, and it's, you know, here's the last scene. And he comes hopping out, and they're going crazy, and the director comes out and like, listen, that's great, but we need a little bit more, just a little bit more. They're all going crazy. It's almost there, but we need – so by the seventh take, the XRT people leave and they go back to the hotel. Like they're not going to sit there all day. They're like hours into it. So they go back to the hotel and they're they're having a couple drinks in the room and they're having some fun. And Lynn decides he's got to get out of the room and just get some air because there's so many people in this cramped room. And he goes outside and he leaves like the the uh, metal thing on the door to leave the door open. And he walks, out, he walks out, and he sees Eric Clapton standing at the elevator. So he runs back in the room, and he's like, you're not going to believe it. I just saw Eric Clapton. And they're all like, you're, you're drunk. You're an idiot. You didn't see Eric Clapton. Someone who looked like him. <laughs> and Lynn is like, honest to God, I'm, I know who Eric Clapton is. And he just saw him at the elevator, no one believes him. <laughs> so he walks out. He says he, he walks out of the room, and he's walking down the hall, and he looks, and here is this guy with like the headband on and he's walking down the hallway half in the bag pulling on a bottle of whiskey and it's Keith Richards <laughs> and he's just like he can't believe it and he said he would never like go up to a rock star but he was so peeved about this uh, this Eric Clapton uh, clapback that he runs up to Keith and he's like Keith we're in a room right over here we're in a room just pop your head in and you'll blow everyone's mind and Keith like doesn't even make eye contact pulls on his bottle of whiskey and keeps walking. And Lynn is now like, we're right. The room is right here. Just <laughs> pop your head and they won't believe. You'll blow all their minds. And Keith Richards doesn't even look at him, doesn't do anything. He comes abreast of the room. He breaks away, runs in front of Lynn, throws the door open, and all these XRT people are sitting in the room. And Keith Richards runs in and says, people, don't blow your minds. And he He's gone. And everybody is like in, in shock. And Lynn comes in right behind him and says, I told you I saw Clapton. <laughs> That's Lynn, right? That's Isn't Lynn. that awesome? That's awesome. That is a great uh, story. Yeah. One yeah. thing I just want to say, you know, think about the XRT family, Terry Hammert, Marty Leonard's, Ryan Arnold, you know, Annalisa, um, Laura Duncan, Greg, so Everett, Chris Wake, everybody at XRT today. And then at 10 o'clock this morning, and XRT, they're going to pay tribute, you know, to the legend, and uh, it's going to be a special day in uh, remembering his legacy. And just think about Lynn today. Terry did an amazing job yesterday getting mm -hmm. through that. Yeah, uh, just with, with people who would just flock to XRT after hearing the news, just to feel some sort of connection. And and if if, if today's anything like yesterday, it's going to be a, a tremendous yep. tribute. And it just shows you too the power of radio and the power of right. our medium that. Yep. People, uh, it, you know, everybody knows Lynn. Lynn didn't know everybody. And, again, yeah. I reinforce the power of, of what voice, you guys do every day. He, he, the, we, what we used coming in, that was for the, the Bear show on FX. They, they yes. used Lynn's on intro Hulu. Yep. on mm -hmm. Hulu. Yep. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And it was his voice and his introduction because he was the voice that everyone recognized. And, and when you hear his voice, you smile. I mean, again, you know, one of the greatest lights around here for sure and in Chicago has, has gone out, and it is the world is a lesser place. It, it, you can't help but feel a little hole in your heart, in your soul, if you knew him. And it is, it's, just, it's just a sad, sad day 
and and I guess you know we will shift into kind of telling the old stories and remembering different things and feeling happy about it. But you know, there's a great there's a great like uh, poem. I'm only in the next room, and it's basically like nothing has changed. You can carry on. I'm just in the next room. I think we we will think of him just you know in the next studio maybe while we're here. Great point. Well put. All right. Uh, man, that's a tough one. Uh, thank you, Mitch. Thanks, we really guys. appreciate it. Have fun. It's Mully and Haw. <laughs> You're the best. At Chicago Sports Radio, 6-7 to the score.